Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. Dr. Lindy Wu is a researcher and biotech entrepreneur. He's a co-founder of Life Biosciences and Jumpstart Fertility with Harvard-based Professor David Sinclair. Dr. Wu is a senior lecturer in the School of Medical Sciences at University of New South Wales in Sydney, and he runs the Laboratory for Aging Research, focusing on fundamental mechanisms and interventions that could maintain healthy aging. The research of this team has immediate applications in other conditions, including slowing the decline of infertility with age and preventing the long-term adverse effects of chemotherapy treatment. In an article recently published by the University of New South Wales, Dr. Lindsay Wu's team at University of New South Wales in partnership with Professor David Sinclair and Harvard researchers have identified a critical step in the molecular process that allows cells to repair damaged DNA. And it could mean big things for the future of anti-aging drugs, childhood cancer survivors, and even astronauts. Having recently visited the Laboratory for Aging Research here in Sydney, I was compelled to bring you this fascinating episode in conversation with Dr. Wu, as we explore the role of NAD+, the future of fertility treatments, the benefits of fasting, and the future of regenerative medicine. You know, there's a we could start off being very broad and just talking about extending lifespan and improving late life health. You know, the, really the goal for the field is to improve late life health. Uh, you know, there is an exponential increase in diseases when we become older. And, you know, by addressing the underlying mechanisms that drive aging, we're hoping to reduce the incidence of those diseases. The ultimate goal is improved quality of life when we're older. This is likely to lead to overall extensions in lifespan, which would be great. But as I said, the main goal is to extend overall lifespan. You know, the field has sort of been around for 80 or so years, and it started off with this basic finding that if you almost near starve an animal, a rat, it lives longer. And so that was, you know, really the basic finding for, for a long time, probably until the late 90s, when the first gene mutation that resulted in an increased lifespan was discovered. And it was discovered in a little worm called Cynoroditis elegans, C. elegans. It's a little animal that we study in the lab. And since then, there's been explosion in the, in the number of drugs and genes that have been identified that uh, could potentially extend um, healthy lifespan. Um, you know, some of those drugs are clinically available. We don't know whether they improve health span and overall lifespan in humans, but they certainly do in these lab animals. So you talk to me a lot about, you know, the basics that you as a scientist will do, that uh, David Sinclair will do, that the people that you work with in your laboratory have adopted as a base level. And that was fasting, that was exercise, that was sleep, um, and then overlaying of that, you're taking some supplements. So NAD being one of them. Can you explain to me, what is the difference between NAD and NR? We get that question a lot. Yeah. So look, the first thing is that, um, you know, after caution with supplements, I don't advocate anyone to go out and try these supplements. They are a fairly unregulated area. Uh, you know, we're going to a lot of efforts to uh, run proper clinical trials. So we know whether they work. 
But in the meantime, the question about the difference between NR and NAD. So NR stands for nicotinamide riboside. Now NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. So that latter molecule, NAD, it's quite a big molecule and it doesn't get into cells on its own. So, you know, you can take NAD as a pill or um, it's now quite common for people to, to, to take it as an IV infusion, but it just doesn't get into cells. So NAD itself is kind of useless. Um, now nicotinamide riboside can get into cells and so that's great. So aside from being able to get into, it's a more advanced intermediate in NAD synthesis. So there's a long uh, pathway to get all the way from a starting molecule through to NAD. And so NR is you know, further along that pathway. And so that's one of the advantages of taking of, uh, of nicotinamide riboside that is further along and that it can get into cells. So it has, still has to be converted into NAD, but that's the, that's the theory behind uh, nicotinamide riboside. It has been approved for use as a supplement in the United States. This is a uh, what we call GRAS status, generally recognized as safe. So it has undergone some toxicity studies, although it's not to the same level of rigor that you would expect from a drug. And that was my next question. What is the difference between you know, a supplement and a drug? Because a lot of the claims can, um, can be similar. Um, and I guess that a lot of the science starts in the supplementation area or natural, um, you know, ingredients, and then they're studied and they're modified and it becomes a drug. What's the difference? Yeah, so the difference between supplements and drugs is well, down to safety, efficacy and regulation. So, you know, the regulation for drugs is extremely intense. For good reason. These are medicines that are being prescribed by doctors. And if a doctor gives you something, you expect it to be safe and to actually does what it's supposed to, be, to work. For supplements, the bar is a lot lower. Supplements aren't actually allowed to say that they treat a disease. Um, you will see that on many supplement bottles, the wording is quite vague. It doesn't actually talk about improving any particular state or any physiological change. Um, for good reason, that there just isn't the clinical data to, to show that that's the case. If there is a clinical body of evidence showing that a supplement can do all of these things, then it can just be registered as a medicine. And that certainly was the case, for example, for with uh, some supplement-like products. So for example, nicotinic acid or niacin is a naturally occurring supplement, a naturally occurring molecule. It's present in foods, it's fortified into breads. Um, and when used at very high doses, it can treat some aspects of cardiovascular disease. And so this was actually approved by the FDA and it's now a treatment for cardiovascular disease as a medicine, a true drug, something that doctors prescribe, not a supplement which has a lot lower threshold for evidence. So supplements don't have to go through uh, what we call a phase one clinical trial, which is where we show in humans uh, through very rigorous studies that it's uh, safe and you don't have to prove that it actually treats a disease. In return, um, Supplements tend not to be prescribed by doctors and they are not allowed to advertise any claims to efficacy, being able to treat any disease state. So there's a big difference in the regulation between the two. And another thing that we discussed when we were on the laboratory tour, which um, I found quite fascinating is you, you know, cancer is obviously a disease that uh, can hit at any age, but, you know, is, is more likely as part of an aging process, but you were, um, sharing with us that um, chemotherapy, whilst it can get rid of the cancer, the other knock-on effects to aging-related diseases and um, 
is quite significant. And so some of the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing can really benefit cancer survivors. Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, important topic for the lab at the moment, one of our main research areas. So chemotherapy drugs, you know, the, the most successful chemotherapy drugs are still the drugs that we had from decades ago. There have been some substantial uh, advances in oncology, so in particular immuno-oncology, so these immune checkpoint inhibitors that control the response of the immune system to cancer. But prior to that, still the best drugs we have are really old drugs, and these older drugs are fairly non-specific. So these are what we call cytotoxic drugs. They're essentially poisons that tend to kill uh, faster-growing cells at a fast, you know, more than non-growing cells, but that's not that specific a mechanism. So as we all know, chemotherapy causes this range of side effects in cancer patients, and they're absolutely devastating during cancer treatment. But you know, even following cancer treatment, these, the, the impacts of chemotherapy treatment are you know, long-lasting. So most, you know, the, one of the greatest impacts in terms of healthy years lost is, of course, childhood cancer, where you know, it's younger kids being treated with chemotherapy that have longer left to live. And those long-term impacts of chemotherapy become more apparent. So just to put it in perspective, 96% of childhood cancer survivors have at least one chronic health condition by the age of 45. Now, the and that is a direct result of not the cancer, but the chemotherapy. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And so, you know, they're seeing diseases like type 2 diabetes, uh, neurocognitive diseases, cardiovascular disease, uh, cancers unrelated to the initial cancer. So these are all a result of, you know, as a spectrum of diseases, it resemble accelerated aging. So preventing wow. the damage that occurs as a result of chemotherapy treatment is really important. And so that's what we're, uh, you know, one of the topics we're really keen on pursuing in the lab. How can we ameliorate the impacts of chemotherapy in cancer patients, not just during their treatment, but for their longer term health so that they don't have this accelerated aging condition. And yeah, that's yeah. not of interest to the government? I mean, gosh, if you look at I mean, the... Absolutely, that, that is. Um, but I don't think uh, recognising it as ageing research has, has gained that much traction. No, there is a case to be made to funding agencies that uh, if you are treating the symptoms of, or if you are um, improving the health span of cancer survivors, that, that is a funding priority. You know, that's recognised by cancer funding agencies that they need to take care of these patients after the cancer treatment is finished. Um, you know, the same interventions, the same non-pharmaceutical interventions that uh, are associated with healthy aging are also associated with better cancer outcomes. So, you know, we've, in recent years, there's been, been this strong push towards uh, exercise in cancer patients, which is really effective. Um, Sorry, I missed that. What's, what's been the, pu the push towards what? Exercise in cancer exercise. patients. Exercise. Oh, yeah, really of course. Yes. Therapy treatment. Uh, which is excellent. So, you know, the, the benefits of exercise to these patients, aside from, uh, you know, reducing the impacts of their chemotherapy, it actually makes chemotherapy more effective. You know, these patients have far better outcomes. And that's being, that's something that's being rolled out, you know, around the country, increasingly used exercise in cancer patients. Um, and in terms of um, uh, speaking of collaborations and, and, and working together, do you feel that, um, you know, as a scientist, how far away are we from some definitive 
drugs or definitive protocols that we can use in human trials? Because I guess that's the billion dollar question that the likes of Jeff Bezos and, you know, Elon Musk and, um, you know, the new uh, billionaire investors who are really committed to this anti-aging technology and uh, biotech. How far away are we? So I'll answer that in a couple of ways. The first, uh, the one that I've, you know, in shorter form interviews is how many years are we away from having this approved to treat as aging in humans? And man, I've seen that movie before and I'll not give you an answer, but <laughs> what I will say- How do I get to be an extra in that movie? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> what I will say is that most of these um, therapies are being developed for other diseases in the meantime. The idea is that a drug that could in the distance be used to treat aging in the meantime, a sort of lower hanging fruit, may be a disease like cardiovascular disease or type two diabetes or infertility or something like this. And so that's really where all the efforts are at. You know, it, it's a largely for pragmatic reasons. We would never have enough money to run the trial of a brand new drug in humans to see if it extended over a lifespan. That trial would just be too long and expensive. But in the meantime, if we're right about this idea of um, drugs that could uh, treat this holistic process of aging, we should be able to treat some very specific disease indications, which we know are a big problem now and aren't controversial whatsoever. And so that's where the field is at at the moment. Uh, so for example, drugs that are under investigation for um, increasing energy expenditure, which could eventually be used to extend over or treat age-related diseases if you have a drug that increases energy expenditure in the meantime, you could use it to treat metabolic diseases, you know, fatty liver disease, obesity, diabetes, and so on. Uh, you know, if you have a drug that improves autophagy, uh, which is a, you know, re the recycling of damaged components of the cell, although that could be used for aging in itself, there are in the meantime, plenty of diseases where autophagy can be defective. Um, you know, for example, some of these orphan diseases where damaged proteins build up in certain tissues, for example, the eye, which you can, um, which you could address in the meantime. So that's a much lower hanging fruit. And the advantage of going after that lower hanging fruit is that it gets you into the clinic and allows you to prove on a larger scale that these compounds are safe after a long period of time in humans. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that. Ageless by Rescue is brought to you by Rescue Me Academy, Reignite Your Relationship course. Love your relationship but miss the early days? You're not alone. This course will teach you how to identify your issues, stop the fighting, find what you need to be happy, re-spark intimacy and keep the lines of communication open. Join us at rescuemeacademy.com.au to learn more about the program and to download your first free lesson.